I'm Chief Chris DiGiuseppe from WhatCopsWatch.com, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. S.H.I.E.L.D. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, S.H.I.E.L.D., the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement, and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. We all have that drawer in the kitchen or our offices or even inside a podcast studio where things accumulate. Inside the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 5, Episode 16, Inside Voices, we're exposed to a number of elements. At least as many elements as we have inside those collective drawers. What are we able to piece together during this episode? More importantly, what were you able to cobble together? Grab your new robotic arms, start wailing on the heavy bag, Pour yourself some shot glasses filled with water and hydrofluoric acid because it's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. A complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. The Code of Silence Perspective Review. Nick, as you came in today, I was putting the final touches on what is yet another marathon perspective review, and I'm super excited about it. It features not only my usual co-host inside of WhatCopsWatch.com, Christy Giuseppe, but also cop serving in South Chicagoland, Tommy Model, the host of the Free Field Training Podcast. All three of us team up to review 1985's Code of Silence, starring Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. That's right. Be sure to check that out very soon over at twoguystalking.com forward slash code of silence. Cut the crap already. Harbinger down. Nick has yet another cut the crap movie review available over at twoguystalkinghorror.com that in wonderful contrast to all of our perspective reviews that are typically very long and detailed. The Cut the Crap reviews are excellent because they are quick, bite-sized offerings made by Two Guys Talking Horror. Mm-hmm. This time it's in regard to a movie called Harbinger Down, which I have to tell you, you made me instantly intrigued with your episode. And the great thing about it was is that uh, stumbling upon the movie, I was intrigued. Uh, it was one of those random Netflix suggestions. Mm-hmm. And I, at Harbinger Down, don't know what this is. Then I notice, oh, Lance Hendrickson. I know him. Well, I'll give it a try. I like Lance Hendrickson. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, wow, that was really good. And then I did some research. And, of course, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody because I want you to go and listen, listen to, to the episode mm-hmm. right. uh, over at uh, twoguystalkinghorror.com. 
But uh, uh, all of the all the information I found about the the film, it was a fundraised film. Mm-hmm. It was all about wanting to do practical effects in a horror movie again, and I absolutely love practical effects. You know this, Mike. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that on this show. We love practical effects. Mm-hmm. We love the spe- the spectacle that is CGI. But we love practical effects, too. And that, that's one of the things that endeared me to Harbinger Down. That's why I wanted to do a cut-the-crap movie review. Well, it turned out wonderful. I encourage all of you to go check it out again. You can find that over at twoguystalkinghorror.com. There's also the direct link over at the show notes for this episode at agentsofshield.tv. Great work, Nick. The Return of the Jedi Perspective Review. For those of you that still have the sour taste of... What was remaining after The Last Jedi, though, Nick, you still have no taste in your mouth, correct? Even after having purchased the movie two weeks ago? I haven't had any time to watch it. Oh, great. Awesome. I just I just let me, moved. L- let me be sure. So to it's s- kind of hard to find a time. Let me be I sure. barely have a time to watch this damn show, Mike, okay? <laughs> let me be sure to skirt around every potential <laughs> thing I could possibly talk about to share our wonderful showcase of... The Return of the Jedi perspective review. For those of you that still have some leftover aftertaste of The Last Jedi, whether you liked it or not, doesn't make any difference. Bottom line is that you can probably put Return of the Jedi on top of The Last Jedi, regardless of your interest at all in The Last Jedi. And remember the nostalgic times that that movie provided. Inside of our perspective review, Chief Christie Giuseppe and Crisis Negotiator Lieutenant Pat Doring the three of us break down what you see inside of Return of the Jedi from the viewpoint of not only a police chief, not only a super-duper 20-plus-year crisis negotiator, not only a former sign language interpreter, but fans of Star Wars for over 40 years. I encourage all of you to go check that out right now over at twoguystalkingstarwars.com. I have to say, since I am a part of the network, I've been able to uh, listen to bits and pieces and... All I can say is is that there's this great bit during the review where Mike, Chris, and Pat all have this in-depth discussion about Jedi Heaven and what constitutes the Jedi, Jedi Ghost Heaven. Jedi, Jedi Ghost Heaven, pardon me. Jedi Ghost Heaven and what constitutes being able to get into the pearly <laughs> gates of Jedi Ghost Heaven. It's a ton Hilarious. of fun. Hilarious. It's a ton of fun. And what I love about it is... Chris and both Chris and Pat, they bring the knowledge of the books, of which I have nothing mm-hmm. yeah. in regard to Star Wars fandom. And so it really is something special that you will not find anywhere else, which is what I love to feature inside of all of our content on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Go and check it out right now over at Two Guys Talking Star Wars.com. You can also reach there by going to Two Guys Talking.com forward slash Return of the Jedi. Uh, enough housekeeping it's time to jump in with dual robotic arms into this episode season 5 episode 16 inside voices sponsored by acoustica's mixed craft recording software bloggers bug and the st charles office center General Hale looks even better with her hair down. Wow, Nick. Wow. I now remember what I really enjoyed about Danny inside of the shield, and it's just that she's gorgeous. Sorry. But while she was in uniform, she had her hair up in the ponytail, but as soon as she clocked out, 
It was hair down. She looked fantastic. And she, she still provided, looks fantastic. Yeah, she also provided a wonderful aspect of being a villain inside of this, where it's cadence orders, get it done. I love it. I love it. And I, it kind of it kind of struck me a little bit because I've been so used to her in the Air Force uniform that now the pretense is over. She yeah. she doesn't need to pretend anymore. Right. And so we're we're wearing the casual wear, the the smart business casual wear. Really, though, for me, the jury is still out. I don't know if I like her as a casually dressed villain. We'll see how uh, how how what her next outfit looks like. Yeah, we'll also see what else she offers up inside this episode, which is also very interesting. Yo Yo's new arms look phenomenal. Talk about game on inside of practical effects. These are the things that excellent television shows are made of. Inside of this, you essentially have the whole arm from the shoulder down that looks like it's some sort of either prosthetic or attached to a piece of the the leftover limb mm. that then extends into mechanical arm. And, dude, they did a phenomenal job on the practical effects for this. Yeah. It all makes sense. It all looks appropriate. Nothing is super bulky. It looks like it's going to fit right in inside of anything that they show us, whether she's got full sleeve shirts on or a jacket or they take the jacket off and just give her a, a wife beater. It won't make right. any difference. Right. The The fact is that it looks phenomenal. And, and we got again, the examples. Uh, we got the examples of all three of them during this episode, which yeah. is great. Mm hmm. I'm actually very curious to get my hands on the DVD Blu-ray when this season is out because I'd like to know what was practical. Like, was she wearing a sleeve that had little apparatuses on it that made it look mechanical along with the, the green plating for CGI to be added or what? Because it looks seamless to me. Yeah. From yeah. scene to scene to yeah. scene, anytime she was, when it was just the hands up close, I mean, it... It looked like robotic hands. Yeah, yeah. it looked like robotic hands. More importantly, it absolutely sold everything that's going on. Yep. There was never that uncanny valley of, hey, look, it's fake arms on, on Yo-Yo. It never looked like that. It looked like there was a, a piece of technology slash implementation that what could have been or was pulled from something else, put onto her her leftover limbs, and you're good to go. I, I, I loved it. I the, love it. The only thing that could have... And I, I'm not even saying this would have made it better. The only thing that could have made it more spectacular would have been if there were uh, areas in which there was nothing, where maybe you could see inside the arm and see the pistons moving back and forth when she moved her arm. Very similar to the end of Empire Strikes Back when... Mm. Luke is testing out his new hand. The, the metabot is poking the fingers right, and yeah. the fingers are going Or back. Or any of the mini uh, Terminator films mm -hmm. where you actually, when the Terminator's finally just nothing but metal, mm -hmm. you can actually see actuation the, going on the, with the stuff. metal tendons moving when mm -hmm. the hand is moving. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I needed that. But if they throw that in, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have said no. Maybe Ruby can cut off portions of these metal arms <laughs> and then we can see pieces moving. Creel's arc begins. You and I both lamented in, not in episodes previously, but in previous seasons episodes, that we really w wish we would have gotten more of what is going on with Creel or Creel mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Because really, I don't, I don't even kind of consider what we've seen as kind of a cameo. I really, I, I don't. 
inside of this season, it's been much more robust. But in previous seasons, wasn't much more than hey, look, it's a dude in a in a in a long jacket. He wasn't in. Well, well I remember season two. He he debuted in season two, and that was mm-hmm. the big draw for me. Yeah, because you know Carl Creel, the absorbing man, mm-hmm. the real it, absorbing, the man. real absorbing man is a. Incredible Hulk villain, mm-hmm. mainly. Right. He's gone. He's gone up against other villains, but for the most part, he has shown up in the Incredible Hulk books. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely, I've, I've, I've got tons and tons of volumes of the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Sadly, because of distribution rights, Marvel Disney can't produce a solo Hulk movie mm-hmm. because Universal still owns the distribution rights. Okay, so. If we're going to get any Hulk villains, they're going to have to show up somewhere else. And when they were introducing the Absorbing Man, I'm like, oh, okay. So small screen, no problem. I'm sure there's a way around it. And they've handled it well. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that he's getting more of a spotlight in this season than he has in the past. Me too. What I'm also glad to see is that there's some sort of confidence that's given to him, Mm. especially from Hale in regard to him being able to actually do something as opposed to it's just another cog in the machine. I'm, I'm really glad that there is that sense of confidence because we've seen it the other way. We've mm-hmm. seen it the other way where they include characters and traditionally, especially for whomever's on top of the villain pile, yeah. it's just a it's just a mechanism. It's another playing card. They're flopping down. Oh, nope, that didn't get done. Whop, throw down a nope. Whop, throw down another one. Wow. And that's not what we're getting here at all, which I really like. <laughs> Simmons making edit strategy for Fitz. This is very interesting because there's not a mustache twirling sound track behind this. No. But they've painted it with how it's filmed and how Gemma is giving off expressions inside of it very much in that vein. But in every single instance where you see it showcase that Gemma brain is manufacturing this this escape plan, oh, yeah. it's not escape plan like, oh, hey, it's it's Gemma and her lightly tooled, wispy cloudness. That's I'm doing not what's this going on just to screw Daisy. No, it's not. It's nothing like that. It's, right. uh, okay, Daisy, I hear what you're saying. You're just not listening to me, so I'm going to do what I have to do. Yeah, oh, and see, I, I think it's even deeper than that. Mm. I, I, as we get further on inside the episode, I'll, I'll dialogue some more of why I think this later on the funny thing about it is is that it phil colson is gone for a handful of days and the team just goes implosion i I don't want to say it goes to shit but it seems it it does seem like phil colson is the glue that's been holding this team together Eh. revisiting robin this was great and i'm really glad that we got back to this because one of the things that I I know I'd like to see more of an interaction with, which we actually get later on in the episode, which was stellar, mm. is more interaction with Robin. Right. Especially knowing and, and being able to take the extra playing cards that you've now collected in the future that you know, based on that future, that skewed fortune of the future that we see. Right. Uh, you know that these things happen, and you can almost now have a conversation with Robin, who has drawn things both in the past and the future that refers to the future. Mm. And I love that. I love that. And I was really hoping that we would see more dialogue. And thankfully, we get that inside get this that. episode. I, I was, uh, when in the previous episode, when Daisy told me that she was going to go and, and talk to Robin, I was like, ah, almost seems like a cheat. 
But then you also have to remember anything Robin says, you really can't take asterisk. to heart. Right. Yeah, it's 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 trying to understand a question that you haven't asked yet. Yeah. It's funny watching this episode, and we'll talk more about it later as well. But watching this episode, anytime you see Robin's mother, mm. Robin's mother is an absolute in real life facsimile of an asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. Because as soon as she disappears, now we'll know what exactly is going on. But until then, asterisk. Mm. Another Mac and Yo Yo discussion that soars. This is another wonderful discussion. I think that there should be some sort of cut reel that can be done for this season where it's all of the interactions between Yo-Yo and Mac mm. and the entire total roller coaster ride I think would be a very interesting reel that someone should put together because it's so well crafted. I'd want to see it from season three all yeah. the way up to here, from the, from the very beginning, from the first time these two characters yeah. meet. Yeah, I, I, that would, would, I would like to see a, that as well. Yeah, Just a wonderful... Kind of like little nice little clip reel. Yeah, and in particular this season, just some super dynamic conversations that are being had that really do paint the picture of of everything you can possibly have. It's it's the absolute basket at the farmer's market for these two characters. Mm -hmm. They have every piece of fruit you can imagine. Uh, along the way, they've stopped by and they've also gotten a couple of steaks, oh, and a bottle of wine, and now they're headed home. And I, I love that they have this entire complement of emotion. They have an entire complement of storyline that they can transgress in whichever direction they want. But then they also have each other and that you can sprinkle that as sugar on top of the whole thing. I love all of that. Yeah. The thing that I really enjoy about their relationship is that, and, and you can really see it in these small moments with them, is that Mac is not just the muscle-bound idiot and Yo-Yo is not just the helpless female. Mm -hmm. She is strong. I, even before the arms, mm -hmm. she was a strong female character yeah. with a, a, a very strong sense of right and wrong from her upbringing being from a foreign country. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Mac who, yes, does rely on his brain because he is an engineer. But yes, when you look at him, automatically you think, oh, wow, towering black man that could kick my ass. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, well, he's got a brain in there, too. And it's these moments that if you're just a casual watcher or you're walking through a room with the show on and you see something like this, it should grab your attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. And, and the reason is because of critical thinking. Mm. The Being able to give any character, regardless of whom they are, regardless of the traits that they showcase, if you can give any character something in the way of critical thinking, which they have done every single time these two get together, yeah. every single time, even if there's someone else that's involved in the conversation, which we'll see later, the critical thinking moments that are given, especially to these two inside this series, I think are some of the excellent strokes inside of this series. No networking for the mech bots? This is very interesting because just this last weekend I was reorienting my Nest Protect units. Mm. We'll link them up inside the show notes for anybody that's interested, but essentially what they are are glorified smoke detectors, atmospheric detectors. It's also a CO2 detector. We don't have any gas in my house, though. It's all electric, so mm -hmm. it's just another added benefit. Uh, but the bottom line is that they interact with my thermostat, a Nest thermostat, right. the thinking thermostat. But then they also interact with all of our uh, smart speakers inside the house as well. The neat part is that all of those things just do those things because they were designed to do that. Mm. 
And so when we realize that when you take a, when you take out if one mech robot inside of this show slash season of this show, the other mech bots are not aware that anything bad is going on. And I think that's kind of a misstep. It has to happen inside this episode because of the way that the cadence of the structure of the show is. But I think that's a huge misstep. Uh, even back in the days of let's go back to Die Hard inside of Die Hard, you had the bad guys that had even a radio check. Or right. they go, unit one, everything's okay. Unit two, everything's not so awesome, whatever. You don't have anything like that here. And so you could just break into an area, make sure you shut the mech down, and nobody knows that anything's going on until another mech would come around in some sort of sentry-style unit. Well, uh, two points. One, they're all based off of LMDs. Mm -hmm. And LMDs never had that function. Because remember... Uh, it was a conversation when the Russian revealed himself to be in league with General Hale. Mm -hmm. Coulson even called him out. It was like, oh, without Ada, can't figure out how to make legitimate LMDs, can you? That's why you just have these mindless robots. Mm. So I think it has one part to do with he doesn't understand the technology and neither does Hale. I'll buy that. And B, I think it also has something to do with the, the ego of Hale. Mm -hmm. I, I mean... Nobody knows where their secret base is, so why worry about escape? Mm -hmm. Later on in the episode when Creel is helping everybody get out, she doesn't seem all that worried. They're not going to get anywhere. So I, I think I think it's one part ego and one part the fact that the, just the hardware wasn't built for that anyway. A conversation with Mommy. I love this. Incredibly dramatic, super cadence inducing, and a piece of the cadence that's used inside of the conversation that's had between the three of them, a lot of it is silent. Mm. Incredibly powerful inside this scene. And it's, it, it, I, I, I'm not going to say that it is heartbreaking. It can be heartbreaking. My thing was is that the future Robin stuff during Crumbs of Earth was so confusing at times mm -hmm. that bringing it back now with the child aspect because essentially we've got old robin inside young robin right now because she's drawn the picture of her death and she's referring to may as mommy as well so she's not really here right now it's not it's not now robin it's then robin which is another huge red flag of uh, you guys aren't going to fix anything. The future is still what it is. I mean, hell, Fitz even says that towards the end of the episode. You know, you, it doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to change your future. You can't change the future. But uh, I was happy to see them do something with this because it kind of explains a little bit more of what we didn't get earlier in the season with future Robin acting like child Robin. Now it kind of makes sense. At least a little bit. The science of drinking death. This is all, there's, there's several bullet points here, so I definitely want to dig into this, but I want to dig into it in, in little tiny sections as we go. Okay. And I'm way on the other side of this whole argument. I'm not on board what Simmons has going on at all. The, the fact that you think that you are invincible... So you're because, more hey, on look, Mac's look, side. it's Deke. Yeah. Yeah, without question. Okay. 
is a, a very strange line. Now, see, I would be using the line in that, okay, what we are doing right now is fostering what happened previously because, look, there's Deke. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that is how I would use him as a barometer where that's not what she's doing at all. What she's doing is, is that simply because he lives, there's nothing that can be done to kill us. And I think that's totally irresponsible. That's why I love the dynamics inside of this discussion and scene play here. Right. Where she sets up the drinks and three of them are water and one of them is not. And the one that isn't is really, really bad juju. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I was insanely curious as to what, where and how we're going to be taken inside of this. But I wanted to make sure that the beginning of our little discussion piece here, where I wanted everybody to know where I am in regard to the discussion, especially of the future that I do believe that it is that whole no future but what we make stuff like you see inside of Terminator. Mm. And I would be using Deke as a barometer of how and what we are fostering because the only way Deke can be that Deke right there is if everything we've already experienced continues to happen and he comes back with us. Fair? Not fair? One set of rules could say that, yes. Okay. Well, those another, rules are the ones I foster. Well, okay. But another set of rules says that he's from an alternate timeline, and therefore him being in the past, even if you change the future, nothing will happen to him. He'll still exist right there because he is now outside of time. He is outside of his own time. Very similar to any of the time travel stuff in the X-Men books. Mm -hmm. You have Cable... And I only bring Cable up because he's going to be featured in the new Deadpool movie coming up this summer. Cable was actually born in this time, sent to the future, sent to an apocalyptic future, literally an apocalypse, apocalypse ran, ruled the future, grew up in the future and came back in time to stop that future from happening. And he did. Eventually, he did stop Apocalypse, so that future never happened. Mm -hmm. But... Another future did, and another future did. Mm -hmm. So every single time he changed the future, he would remember his old future, but he also had new memories of a different future that he, he lived but didn't live. That's very interesting. So we've what got there's love, a lot of different yeah. rules that could be put in play yeah. here. What I also love about that, and we'll talk about this as the last segment inside of this episode, mm -hmm. all, all of that being able to go back and grab and then do what you want with, I love that we're going to be able to talk about that, not only because it's concept, but because they actually do it inside this episode. Right. If the science is sound... Couldn't Simmons try to drink all four? And take yourself out of what exactly happens inside of this episode for a moment. Because as that whole little drama is unfolding inside that room, I thought to myself, okay, well, if Simmons is right, then she'd be able to rifle through all three as a matter of happenstance. Mm -hmm. And then because of the science slash they're invincible, there is no way that she could put the fourth glass to her mouth drink it and be killed according to what her science is. So there would either be an earthquake or somebody would slap it out of her hand or a meteor strike would cause her to fall down and not drink it or something. So something would have to happen to foster along the fact that she could drink all four, except that time and I am invincible rules will not allow me to drink the fourth one. And that, that that kind of fosters along my thinking about how, yes, yeah, she could. She could drink it. And that's why, as this episode goes along, I love the direction that they took. 
uh, see, I, I I look at it a different way, and I might I may be wrong. I may have interpreted the episode differently. I know Fitz is one hundred percent sure that there's no way you can change the future. Boom, it's the future. There's no there's no way you can change it. Boom. Gemma, on the other hand, is flexible. She knows that if you try to change the future, you can. But as long as you don't try, and this this is where her the science is sound. As long as you don't try to change the future and let everything happen, she knows they at least get to the lighthouse, crumbs of earth, baby. After that, who knows? But that she at least she believes, because of the science, that nothing can happen to her as long as she doesn't try to change anything. Now, and like I said, fits totally against all of it. It's like no, there, there, it doesn't matter what you do, nothing's going to change. So the fact that. She wouldn't try to drink the fourth one because, well, A, the fourth one would kill her and it would be her actually actively trying to change the outcome because she's already drank all three waters. Trying to drink the acid would kill her. That means she's actively trying to change fate instead of working with fate. And I use fate because there's not a scientific word for fate. It's because it's not a variable. Right. And, and, and that's why I, I vote for the other direction, because it's not a variable. Okay. It's not a variable that can be included in the discussion, because because of an insert infinite circle that we can sit and talk inside an entire True. hour of an episode. But the thing is, is that what it really all boils down to is, is faith. Really. I mean, it, it, having absolute, complete faith in her science is like a Christian having absolute faith in God. Gemma is playing fast and loose. She's playing Russian roulette with fate, with even with her own science, because she has a belief. She doesn't call it a belief. She calls it absolute science. But it's still a belief. It's still that faith in her science, which makes it very interesting. I, I, I don't know how, how to feel about these four characters, about Fitz, Gemma, Yo-Yo, and Mac. I, d I don't know how to feel about them because technically they're all, each one of them are right in one way, shape, or form, but then technically they're all wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The fix to releasing Fitz is cheating Mac? Not a fan. So I'm not a fan of what happens here. I am a fan that they fake that there was poison in it, and so there's concern and running around, and yes, okay, I got that. And that is interesting, and that is original, but that there was no way to convince Mac? I, I don't know, it kind of gets back to that whole team dynamic thing of, and so Coulson pulls out and everybody just loses their mind. I, I Somewhere I wanted to have, there has to be trust inside the team. Even if you disagree with elements of the team, there has to be some semblance of trust. And that there is now no trust because you literally have to accidentally trick him, have a door open. Yo-Yo uses her super speed, shoves him inside the door and closes it. I, I, I was not a fan of that. I don't want to say that there's no trust. I mean, the team is definitely split down the middle, you know, because everybody has their own priorities. Uh, so let's look at let's look at the one half. You've well, see, got. I, I, see, I don't agree with that, though. Here, look. So you got in that room, you got Mac. Okay. Then you got Fitz, Simmons, and Yo-Yo. So there's four in the room that are making the call. 
And inside the room, if you've got three people, all of whom are ready to make the call and do action of X, and then you've got one big giant black dude that's not, I'm not on board, guys. What is the natural play inside the room? Does it go seniority? Because if it does go seniority, guess what? See, th- th- well, th- Max, that's what I'm saying. Is, yeah, but uh, but but you're missing you're missing the point because this is all this is Fitz. It's the same thing with Fitz from two episodes ago. They're doing what has to be done, whether they like it or not, whether the other te- team members like it or not. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing with Daisy. Fitz didn't like what he had to do to Daisy, but he did it because he had to do it to Daisy. He had to give Daisy her powers back, or there was no way that they were going to fix, fix the rift. Right. Mm-hmm. So, in in a sense, Gemma and Yo-Yo are tricking Mac to free Fitz because they have to have Fitz and get out of the base to go to these three locations and hunt down the weapon because the other half of the team doesn't think that that's the priority. You have one half the team with one priority. You have the other half of the team, specifically the team that's in charge, with another priority. But remember what Elena learned from the future. Everything goes wrong because they try to save Coulson. That's Mm -hmm. what her limbless future self told her. Mm -hmm. Don't try to save Coulson. So she's not. Now, she hasn't told Gemma or Fitz about that or even Mac. And see, that's where I have a problem with this, this, this tricking Mac. I, I don't, I, I don't have the same problem with it as you. It's, I think had Elena told, told Mac, this is what I told myself. Colson's going to die no matter what. And we dropped the ball because we're more focused on saving him than saving the world. And I believe Mac would then be on Elena's side. And the fact that she doesn't want to have that conversation because he's so against this invincible theory. Uh, it, it, to me, it seems like the two characters, and we just talked about it earlier in this in this review. Two characters who, when when they're on screen together, they have this great, all these great moments. Now they have a problem, and Mac doesn't trust Elena's mental capacity because of her injury. Oh, you're still you're still recovering. Calm down. Let your let let yourself heal. It has nothing to do with her losing her arms. It has everything to do with seeing her future self and talking to her future self mm-hmm. and learning future knowledge. That right there is messing with her, and it's been messing with her ever since they came back. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand why she won't open up and tell Mac everything. That's my only problem. I understand why everything's happening the way that it is, both story-wise and relationship-wise with all the characters. I agree with you that this is dirty pool, but I agree with you for a different reason. Itchy metal trigger finger. So that'll wake you up in the morning. True, I, it will. I, I think we're going to have some but more you training. You don't have to worry about for... it if you're invincible. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that there is there is that. But it also it also hammers home that she's still not ready. Oh yeah, which I like. Because I do too. I don't. Be- I don't. I don't want the instant proficient. Right. Yes. Y- you and I both hate with like the white hot hate. Yes. A, a new environment, and you know, hey man, I've been punching these bags for twelve minutes. I know what I'm doing. Right. And that there is something else in as an X factor inside of it. Absolutely. I kind of I, I kind of think of it as right now. I'm a 48 year old man now, and I know that if I were to take up some sort of 
amateur boxingness. I know that I would not be ready for a good long period of time, uh, nor would my body, especially in regard to recovery. Right, right. And so allowing for us to see at least a portion of that very quickly inside of this episode, I'm a giant fan of that. I think it's also foreshadowing that later on in the field, something's going to go a little haywire, and uh, Mac's going to be the only one that's going to be able to fix what's wrong, and eventually there's going to be that conversation, hey, uh, hey, Mac, uh, sorry about locking you in that room. Sorry about tricking you that, you know, Gemma's going to die and then locking you in that room, Uh, but uh, could you bring a wrench over? (laughs) Would you mind grabbing the Allen key set? That'd be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Another Phil's going to die nugget. This is very interesting. And the faster this this gets pumped out and the faster it becomes more prolific, the faster that coming to grips with what needs to happen is going to also happen. And again, as we get closer to the end of this season slash this program, I think that's a very interesting tack to take. We'll talk about it when we get closer to the end of this damn season. (laughs) No comment. Mechbots need a weapon slash rules of engagement refresher. Something that bothers me, mostly because I know that they're just robots and they're told what to do slash programmed. I get it. But it's like they forgot that they were holding guns or something. And even if it's just misdirected fire like stormtroopers, I wanted there to be guns being fired inside of each separate instance that we have of them Mm -hmm. because if they have guns on them then there should be something even if they're aiming at the legs or aiming at the arms or whatever and before you give me the same mantra that people would whine and complain about weapons to me about just shoot them in the foot or shoot (laughs) them in the arm it's not reasonable when it's human when it's a robot it it is reasonable to go okay in this instance general hales has issued orders that there will be no kill shots on any humanoid and so we will shoot to wound, shoot to insert word, yep, yep. as opposed to shoot in head or shoot in central torso so as to destroy heart and kill them more likely. Th- th- there would be something in between, but like they don't even shoot. Yeah. And so I, I had a problem with that because it allows the team and characters to do whatever they want, however they want. And I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Reduces the peril. Uh, Creel should be the only one that could should go up against these robots. Mm-hmm. Because he has the ability to, you know, change his, his body mass mm-hmm. into other substances. Mm-hmm. Phil's got a robotic hand. I, I, I'm sorry. I think if I punched a, a robot, it's going to hurt my hand a hell of a lot more than me punching somebody's face, which has a layer of skin and tissue and fat. And then there's the bone. This is nothing but metal. It's all made of metal. And unless he's actually using his robotic hand... Which he wasn't, and, and the, see, that's the thing. It's yeah. it was very dark. It was very dark in those corridors. Yeah. I, I but he still wasn't way. using just his metal hand. Right. And I and I totally agree with that. You know, kicking him off center would be cool. It would be even cooler if like. And I know that you've seen this. Uh, we'll link up some videos also. There, there are some Google robots that have been showcased recently. There, there's two that I'm thinking of. One looks like this giant metallic cow without without a head, mm. and just these weird cow like legs. It would look more like deer legs on this big fat rotund torso ox looking body thing with no head no fur nothing anyway there's this guy and he walks up to it and he kicks it like like if i were to walk up to you and just like sidekick you in the torso 
so that my foot is on you and then I just push with everything that I've got with my legs. Yeah. That's what he does to this thing and it recovers. And you go like, oh my God, look at that. Yeah. And the only thing that's more interesting, there's another one that we'll find. And that guy, he actually takes a hockey stick and he takes a hockey stick to the top of the torso on it and pushes the hockey stick through it so that if he were to do that to you or I, we would be on our ass. There's no question. Yeah. Oh, the robot does not fall. Okay, mm. that, that is disturbing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to see with from maybe the humans where they would punch them and they would they would give the ding and then they would just get back in line and start to continue to attack or, right. or something. I yeah. wanted to see something different than look at Coulson punching the robot with his hand, duh, not the robot hand, and they're still falling to the ground somehow. There, there is no robot that would be created that would be programmed so that, okay, if a human punches you in the face you're going to then approximate a jawbreak or whatever, mm. and you're going to fall over. No, they, they wouldn't. They would somehow accept the damage and then continue on forward to do whatever the mission is. Right. And that's what I wanted to see from these robots as opposed to we know it's a dude in a suit. Yeah, yeah. Creel suscitation. This was very interesting. Creel jacks into the electrical power of one of the, the mech bots eyeball socketness and takes the electricity through him and then plugs it through a downed Phil Coulson because he's been punched in the hearts, not operating appropriately heart mm -hmm. and then resuscitates him though. Cree suscitates him. I, I thought that was great. The only thing I wanted was I just wanted something paced different inside this, the run of the episode inside of this portion, it felt weird Every yeah. other every other time they've been able to power through things like this, and the the up and down. I, I think what it was maybe was when Creel doubles over and has one of his vision things. I, I'm not entirely sure that works for all of it because it adds more of a layer of we don't know what he's going to do. That's supposed to be peril, issuing more adrenaline potential for he, the episode he seemed to have it too much together after having such a traumatic experience having yeah. voices and a substance in his head yeah and i get that that's all inserted especially for the audience because now the audience knows that in addition to which by the way we didn't really talk about it but the uh the interaction with the gravitonium and creel obviously there's something else going on it's not just look at me touching stone mm -hmm. that's not what's going on there we absolutely get that but I understand there's they want to try and deliver story from whoever is inside of this inside of the gravitonium through Creel through the story that we're watching and then the epilogue on the end. I get it. I I, I get it. But the I think the the cadence of this episode, the pacing, suffered a bunch because everything was stopped and you've got Creel kind of doubling over, not entirely sure what's going on. Going, can you hear the voices? Right. And just somewhere inside of this, it was strange. I I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. It's it wasn't jarring. Uh, like I said, the the pacing normally the pacing for the show is is stellar on top, but uh, it was a little odd. Not jarring like a handful of episodes have mm -hmm. been. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. There was something off about the. I think it also had something to do with how how slow and somber all of the robin scenes were i agree with that uh so that you, you've got that and then you try to shove the action sequences with 
Oh, no, the voices tell me I should kill you. They hate you. Uh, yeah, I think, there, I think there was something, though, just slightly off with the pacing in this episode. The guy that is Creel is ripped. I, I thought maybe it was just like, wow, this is some really great camera look on Creel. Dude, it's not. It's just that the guy that he's, is Creel, no, no, is, he is absolutely shredded. And he's he, Mr. Buff stuff, yes. Un unbelievably so. And again, I'm so glad that he's inside of the story push so that we can utilize him, but then more importantly, see him. When you see a specimen like this guy, compared to what I think are some very normal-looking people, all of our S.H.I.E.L.D. team mm -hmm. is reasonably oh, yeah. normal-looking. There's, yep. there's nobody that, that strikes you as a, a physical specimen, with maybe the exception of Mac. I don't even. Yeah, but think you that, put Mac next to Creel. <laughs> well, and he's shredded. He, he's, yeah, yeah, yes. He he's absolutely shredded, and it is showcased wonderfully inside the back half of this episode, just without question. And another thing about that, though, that I, I I'm very appreciative is, and this is something that Hollywood used to not give a damn about at all. It it used to be, especially for action movies, get somebody who looks apart, not somebody who can act the yeah. part. Mm -hmm. And we are now getting into the age, I, I would say over the last decade or so, that we're now fostering actors who are also something else or bodybuilders who are also, hey, I dabble in acting as well. Now, the actor who plays Creel, will he ever win an Academy Award? Probably not. Will he ever get hired to be in a movie to where he plays a part to where he could be up for an Academy role? Probably not. I mean, I don't, I'm not Robin. I can't tell the future. <laughs> but... I like the fact that we have somebody that ripped who I believe is the absorbing man mm -hmm. and can act like it too. Ruby's disc and Creel's chest. This is very interesting. We get to one of the pinnacle slash apex fights inside of this episode. And what we see is a slow motion throw of Ruby after making some very interesting inside of brain choices None of which we hear, but man, the actress that is Ruby has got me. I, I can't quite articulate why, but every time I look at her, and it's not that whole man drooling thing. That's not what it is. No. There is something about the way they are portraying her and then just her general look that is absolutely alluring. Like you can't quite take your eye off her. And I think that plays wonderfully inside of all of the fight scenes inside of this show. Because regardless of what she's doing, however much ass she's kicking or not, doesn't make any difference. You don't want to look away. There's something about the fact that she is she is a striking woman. She's very beautiful. But then there's also there's something in the eyes that she does. And credit to the actress. Mm -hmm. There's something in the eyes. There's something in her eyes when she's defying her mother. Yeah. She has all the characteristics of a caged animal. Mm -hmm. But she also she's also in her mind, she believes she's the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. She's the best person in the room. Mm -hmm. She's supposed to be the destroyer of worlds. It's at this point at the end of this episode that you finally realize and I'm I actually kind of think that General Hale maybe starting to realize as well that her little daughter may not be running with the program anymore mm -hmm. the simple fact that she almost killed creel when she was specifically told not to big red flag mommy should know 
Oh, okay. Well, my little psycho is a little bit more psycho than normal. Wonder what I got to do now. I can't pull on the reins. Uh, she'll probably kill me. So let's just play along. And I, 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 and I could be wrong, but, but I have a feeling that Ruby is going to move forward on her plan. Mm -hmm. but, and uh, I, I think what, what I got out of the, the, the end of this little apex fight, as I mentioned previously, was that when you get to the end of where, where it's just kind of this weird Mexican standoff and Hale's not entirely sure what to say, mm. what it reminds me of is that instant right right as the adult is kicking the, the juvenile's ass in Monopoly. Like, hey, you just landed on Park Place. Guess what? I own both of them. You got your roll of cash? Yeah. And the look that you get from Ruby is is the... I can't believe I just landed on Park Place. I guess it's time to kill you. And that it's just so matter of fact. It could be, it's, it's, it's not like her it's anything throwing, new. Her throwing the disc is the equivalent of a child grabbing the Monopoly board it, and just yes, tossing it up. absolutely. Yeah, no, I and, agree. And destroying the table. It, it, that is exactly what I got from this. And I, I love that both you and I can have that same concept when we're watching the same thing. And spill that out inside of an episode review like this, and it's absolutely spot on. Mm -hmm. That is what needs to happen inside of writing, especially of villains, where you, there can always be a different perspective on what a villain is doing, but the perspective of the villain as they're doing it is something that should be readily easy yeah. to see. And I'm glad that both you and I see that. <laughs> Drawing pictures of the future and mountains. This was excellent. What I really enjoyed about this was when Robin is has drawn and handed off the picture of, of Coulson and Talbot set in front of mountains. I'm like, oh, okay, that's very interesting. So wherever they are, that base is inside a mountain? And that you ask that question at the time that the drawing is showcased is terribly appropriate mm -hmm. because it's wonderful misdirection as it's played off inside of this episode. Just another five, maybe seven minutes afterwards, not surprisingly, oh, look, it's Phil Coulson and Talbot, and they're in front of the, the uh, super-duper twirly machine that we talked about in a yep. previous episode. And so now they get transported to somewhere that looks like it's outdoors someplace. Oh, like, look, oh, hey, it's snow, and hey, pine trees. Wow, interesting. And we have our two heroes walk to cameras, camera pans back and up, and oh, my, look. Look, the it's mountain, the mountain structure. Yep. Wonderful storytelling that I, I I'm very appreciative that we got that as opposed to like a tree outcropping that was somehow recognized that you can use mountains like that asterisk right. to gauge where people are and what they're looking at. That is possible. Mm -hmm. if, if you're familiar oh, yeah. enough with mountain ranges, you can look at a series of mountain ranges and go, Oh, Hey, look, it's the Himalayas inside of Bristan or Hey, look, it's uh, Mount St. Helens, pre 1980 or whatever the whatever the shape yeah, of the yeah. mountains are that absolutely is a thing that does exist and so that the computer can rifle through what they need to and then find a match absolutely uh, it's also uh, another great pointer over to one of our other perspective reviews the uh, perspective review of raiders of the lost ark i would point all of you over to that we'll link it up inside the show notes it's two guys talking.com forward slash raiders and inside of that, my lifelong friend Carlo Bezzesi and I, we run through a myriad of really cool things inside of Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the biggest of which is 
of course, that first mountain that you see. Mm-hmm. The first mountain that you see that rips out of the Paramount logo, well, that was Spielberg's order, was go find me a mountain that looks like the Paramount logo. Yeah. Sir, yes, sir. And they did it. An interesting way of retconning from four years ago. For those that aren't familiar with the word retconning, why don't you educate, Nick? Retconning is the term used when you want to change something that is already established storyline. Right, and specifically inside wanna, of some set wanna... continuity. Right, right. And that's why it's 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 retcon. You're returning back to something, and now it's just something different in regard to continuity. Sometimes people ignore <clears throat> things completely and change it deliberately to fit their own means. That happens in comic books a lot, especially comic books that are around for 40, 50 years. Yeah, generations, right. Sometimes writers will actually try to find loopholes. They'll mm-hmm. find that one little thing to where if we go back here and pull pull the panel a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right and show you something that you didn't know was there, then they get away with their retconning. It, it stays in continuity, but you just you get to add on to something and just bring it up now. Right. And it, this is more along the lines of what I feel this ending scene is. Yeah, yeah. And I like this, by the way. Oh, yeah. The, the, the way that they pull this off here at the end, and what the scene we're referring to, obviously, is where we get to visit the wonder of Reyna, one of my favorite characters, mm-hmm. inside of... Ah, flowers. Uh-huh. The panel inside of Finding Quinn. And then realizing that Quinn has been absorbed by this bucket of gra- gravitonium that Raina's got charge of. Yeah. And that absolutely works. It absolutely gives the not only the entire episode, but it gives the line of the storytelling that they're doing a completely different line of credit mm-hmm. because that's done. It is the kind of retconning I do want to see inside of stuff like this. Well, the uh, all of the Creel stuff now makes more sense because... Mm-hmm. We all know from season one that, and and especially uh, another great thing about the beginnings of every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they give you a nice little reminder of what Tidbits. you're going to need mm-hmm. to know to understand this episode. And we, we saw the scene where Coulson shot out the floor and let Dr. Hall fall into the Gravitonium. So we already had a feeling that he was still in the Gravitonium. And I, I remember even though I wasn't a part of the podcast back in season one, I remember watching that happen and go, ooh, are are we going to have a Graviton? Because in the comic books, that whole thing does happen, but then turns Dr. Hall into the supervillain Graviton, who is basically a souped-up Magneto without being a mutant. Well, now we understand why Creel was, was hearing two voices. First, and him referring to they. They. They're really arguing, but that. they yeah, both really hate that. you and want you to die. Right. That makes so much sense. And the fact that they would hold off for the flashback to the very end to show you why that's happening, I, I love stuff like that. Me too. Because it's, it's, too. it's the building of the tension. It's the right. building of... It's what it's the mystery. It's building yeah. the mystery. It's not only building the mystery, it's, it's being able to poke at the in-depth fan... Because the in-depth fan, like you, frankly, mm. would go, it's not two guys. Why do they keep saying they? 
Yeah. Okay, well, the answer is because bah, it bah, is bah. they. Yeah. Right, right. No, I, I, And I really enjoy that. Again, this is the type of retconning that I have absolutely no problem with, where it's it's put into place because it absolutely fosters the story, in particular a thicker story that has so many more tendrils now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really enjoy that. We are plugging long and fast into this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., this time Season 5, Episode 16, Inside Voices. We'll be right back. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug. www.podcastbug.com The history of hostage and crisis negotiation is filled with action, danger, emotion, and perspective. Be sure to learn more about the history of hostage and crisis negotiation inside Crisis Cops, the evolution of hostage negotiations in America. Order it now at twoguystalking.com slash crisis cops. That's twoguystalking.com slash crisis cops. Don't miss the next live free field training session online. Come and learn with Officer Tommy Model during his live captures featuring you. Freefieldtrainingpodcast.com. That's freefieldtrainingpodcast.com. What comes to mind when you hear the word horror? Is it a book you read in the dead of night that creeped you out? Is it the memories of the monsters you were sure lived under your bed? Is it a film filled with blood and gore, all thanks to a crazed killer? Join me, Nicholas J. Hearn, and my guests as we ask the really terrifying question, What scares you? Only on Two Guys Talking Horror. TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com That's TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, Those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., this time Season 5, Episode 16, Inside Voices. 
every time the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast comes back from break, it's time to crack open our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. Our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers is where Nick and I focus on an actor portrayal, a piece of storytelling brilliance, or not, or something else that trips our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what have you got for this episode? My S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier is filled to the brim with the befuddled and mustached General Talbot. Hmm. Okay. So happy that, because uh, I was worried. I was worried after the last episode, we may not see him again. He's going to be tossed into a dark hole and right. that's it. Right, you hear it. a weapon crack and yeah. you never see him again. Right. <laughs> uh, no, that is not the case. Uh, not only do we see him, but it's a full-on rescue mission. Right, right. We've got Phil Coulson. We've got the Absorbing Man mm-hmm. working together to to get uh, poor General Talbot out, and, and and I know that every now and then when I bring this up, things tend to get a little prickly between the two of us. Dun 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 dun. Bathos, you're big. You're a big believer in calling out Bathos when it's inappropriate. Here, General Talbot is appropriately the man carrying all the Bathos. Not only because of his injury, but because of the fact that General Hale broke him. He's not all there right now. Mm -hmm. And he's not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily have both feet in reality. Right. Cheese has definitely slipped off the cracker. (laughs) No question. Absolutely. Uh, And the thing is, is that he's not completely useless. Right. But he's also not very helpful. No. Uh, The fact that the the name of the episode harkens to the fact that Coulson has to keep reminding Talbot to use his inside voice while they're making the, their escape. That's one thing. The moment in the episode that I have to bring up, though, and I purposely didn't so that I could talk about it in my dossier, was after Creel revives Coulson, a d- deadpan look straight at Coulson, Talbot goes, you know, you die more than anybody I know. <laughs> really good. And that's a bathos moment. Coulson just died. He's been resuscitated. Ooh, okay. Whoa, wow. That was that was that was close. And now we have one line that made me I had to stop the episode because it made me laugh so hard. Yeah. I was like, so appropriate. Appropriate bathos. So my shield dossier, appropriate bathos, thanks to General Talbot. I think that's well said. I'm gonna throw on another piece of bathos that absolutely worked, and it's after they transport to the snowy frozen tundra of wherever in front <laughs> yeah. of the mountains. And uh, Talbot leans over slash as they're walking and says, man, couldn't you take us over to some some beach sandy and sand beaches? Or and, yeah. And, and, and Colson essentially looks at him and goes, you know, I'm not so much interested in that anymore. Yeah. Something yeah. something akin to that. And it was very well placed. Yes, it was. Screw the whole Tahiti thing. <laughs> that was great. Very much so. <clears throat> that was great and terribly appropriately placed as opposed to, you know, if I ever had to inform you of something, Nick, I would, of course, send you an email. Uh, I don't have a computer. Oh, it's not as funny anymore. I think we. I think I, he's talking to you. <laughs> I think we've. I think we've. <laughs> we squeezed the hell out of that. All of the, the divine juice, juice of that bathos. Of uh, that bathos moment from Ragnarok. Uh, it's time to Ragnarok out of here. Uh, I guess it, it's probably time for me to now memorize the wonderful Thor tech line that he uses with Banner towards the end of the film. That obviously was much more funny, and I just didn't understand it. All right, anyway, so my dossier inside this episode. 
I can't wait till we get to the Thor Ragnarok. I can't either. I can't either. It'll just be. I, I hated this got movie. To be Thank there. you. Come again. Anyway, my dossier inside this episode has got to be filled with a piece that we did not talk about: finding gravitonium, and then interacting with Creel. That whole section inside of there was wondrous. The the look of the gravitonium spectacular. There was never a point where I go look at the CGI crap. It's obviously an element that you will never see inside of real life so yes checkbox Um, but what you get to see as he's interacting with it is all from what i can tell completely practically done it's him on a couple of rope slash wires as Mm -hmm. he's jerked up and then balanced as the stuff is trying to interact with him and then when it's time to to be to be done with interacting a couple of the mech bots go grab him and haul him down to the ground yes that is exactly how this thing should be and should look like and they did wonders here inside of a moment that we didn't even really notice inside of our general review. But that's why it is a dossier moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to, to have the special effects foster the storytelling so that you don't need to stop and recognize them. Right. That's what you want to have happen with every single special effect you have. Inside of this episode, there's probably, I don't know what, 15 different effects of something. That happened at least, inside of this episode. At least, yeah. And that we don't have to have some marvelous 19 second, oh my God, special effects laden scene inside of this that we don't have to bother doing that is a great thing. It's how a lot of other movies, especially movies, should be put together. Because the instant that you have to have some giant, gaudy, here's where the money went scene mm-hmm. is where I think movies go incredibly wrong. Because Yes, special effects absolutely do make a difference, but they should be making a difference to foster the storytelling and not vice versa. There should not be some crumbs of story in, hey, look at this mammoth, incredibly expensive special effect. Right. That's not how it's supposed to work, and I think that it's definitely different now, but in many, many instances, especially many trailers, that is the king. The king Mm -hmm. is to go and grab at least a portion of some mega effects Extravaganza. The one that comes to mind just off the top of my head is the most recent X-Men film, X-Men... Apocalypse? Awesome, yes. That one is probably the best sample of scenes that should have never been shown inside of that trailer. But because they are gargantuan, incredibly expensive, this'll get them in moments. Like mentioning that Apocalypse is going to be in it isn't? Uh, that's a that's a tilt moment for me, and it's where they're not giving not only comic book fans who are now much much older, with traditionally more disposable income, yeah, to go and see movies, start preying upon those people. Go go and foster along the fact that you're inserting apocalypse inside of an X Men property, or 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 don't make X Men apocalypse. Yeah. If you can't do it, you can't quote, do it right, right. Don't do don't it. Don't do it right. I agree, I agree with that. Anyway, that that was one that really struck me as a, a moment where they took many of the just gargantuan hero, life changing effects inside of that movie. And hey, here, check it out. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. and I hate that. I absolutely hate that. So my that's my dossier, and that's where we ask you guys, what was inside your shield dossier for this episode, season five, episode sixteen, Inside Voices. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Click anywhere on the right-hand side, fill out the quick web form, and contact us to tell us what you think. Ah, it's time to strike up conversation in regard to the rating for this episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episode 16. 
inside voices. The scale works thusly. One is on bottom, not so gnarly. Sucked into gravitonium. Sucked into gravitonium and never, never shall it come back yeah. out. <laughs> A ten is on top of the heap, incredibly. Transported to a nice warm spot with uh, tahini drinks. Right, but no sand and no... No sand, though. No sand. And no blue people. Definitely no sand, no blue people. Everything starts at seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick? There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? There was a moment in the episode that I, I had to stop, and it wasn't, it wasn't when I was laughing at uh, General Talbot's one-liners there was a moment in the episode and it was during the whole well let's see we've got these four glasses three of them have water one of them has you know kill kill death death acid <laughs> hydrofluoric acid right and i'm kill I'm, kill death, death. <laughs> and i'm going like well why are we going to these lengths ha ha fooled you uh bye so you take that, you, you take the trickery, which for me really felt out of character. And not just out of character for Gemma, out of character for Yo-Yo as well. I can, I can dissect the character all I want and come up with a reason why she did it. And Gemma too. But at the same time, it's me coming up with an excuse for what happened instead of going like, that shouldn't have happened. Right. It's, it's out of character. Mm-hmm. The same thing could be said with Daisy. I'm not necessarily saying that Daisy is wrong when she's dealing with Fitz. Fitz assaulted her and experimented on her, cut her open and pulled crap out of her. I can understand how she's very touchy on that whole subject. But her blind, her, her tunnel vision when it comes to this is the only thing that matters, finding Phil Coulson. I would think that after five years... Not only would she know that you have to you have to have a wider view, but also May being her number two right now would also say, "Hey, because she almost kind of did. She there was that moment where she says, "You're leading us now, and it's different for all of us, and we all have to get used to it." Mm-hmm. And then Daisy just brushes it off and saying, "I'm leading you until we find Colson, and then he can have the job back." May should have said, "Wait a minute, hold on, I'm not done. You interrupted me." Stop being stupid. You know, th- there is a mission, but the one thing, the difference between you and Phil Coulson is that he had his eye on the prize, but then he also had the other eye on everything else. Right. And she well, needs, and, and, and for somebody who's been around for five years and has been fostered by Coulson and May in the ways of spycraft, again, also a little bit out of character yeah. for Daisy to yeah. behave this way. It was definitively a piece of extreme ownership missing for Daisy. Right. Daisy is now the man. There, mm-hmm. there, there's, you know... There, there, Whether she likes it or not. Right. And and with that job comes all of these cool things. And that her performance was not up to snuff. And May calling her on it and then not engaging, mm. that's another chalk down. Right, because totally that's because that's also against May's character. Right, and she's Because May done won't back too. down. Right, and and Daisy has done that in previous episodes mm-hmm. where she does take the mantle, so right. I'm with you there. I agree. So the fact that it seems like everybody except for Phil Coulson and Fitz and Mac are in character threw me off a little bit for this episode. So unfortunately, I cannot give this a 10 rating 
But it's still an excellent episode, so I give this episode a nine. I think that's a good score for this episode. One of the things that we we really didn't jump into as well is something that I promised we would, and so we need to just track back a little bit here. Okay. But it fits perfectly inside of the rating set here. And the focal point is that inside of Gemma's trickery scene in particular, she is not in character. Mm, right. She's just not. There's a there's a waft of something else there that I can't quite put my finger on, but it does not fit. It, it It's, again, to go back to the deck of cards thing, it's like there's 50 cards in the deck. Well, where are the other two? Don't worry about the other two. You don't need to know where those are. Mm. I don't care for that. If... I need to ask that question. Something is not being conveyed appropriately. So you stack that on top of the things that we've already talked about that I wasn't a fan of. In particular, if if really all you need to do is shove Mac inside of that room and close the door, how about something like this? Mac, can I talk to you for a minute? Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you need? Let's step in here real quick. Both of them walk in. Instantly the door shuts and it's done. Did you really have to go and pour potentially a, a clear substance into a glass that was supposed to birdie, kill birdie, you. kill, kill, die, die. So yeah. I, I, it needed, I realized that the drama is painted almost completely out with that scene, but I didn't think that that scene played, played appropriately. I also uh, am reminded of another scene inside of another movie that I genuinely enjoy. And it's the matrix. Mm-hmm. And inside the matrix, you got Joe Pantaleone's character inside of that. His name is Cypher. And inside of it, he's sitting on Neo's lap. He's literally going, you know, if he's the one, how can I possibly kill this guy? There's nothing that could stop me from pulling this out. But if he's the one, and he keeps on going throughout this to draw out the drama in it. Right. And not so strangely, before the day is done, one of the other characters wakes up, grabs the electrical gun, and fries fries cypher to death thereby saving neo okay see that's what i'm talking about what what do we have in operation here is it more that or is it this science crap but she does believe that whole thing Mm -hmm. she she believes that the whole invincible thing and i don't so that's the second mark down on it the third mark was that weird cadence ability thing that I can't quite put together that it was it was just kind of a bump every time it happened where Creel is having this flashback of whomever is floating around inside of the goo of Gravitonium. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't have that. When you take those three things, I absolutely don't mark it down to a seven because, again, we're way over ten when we started. Right. But I will take that and I will chalk it down to a nine. That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode, season five, episode 16 of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Inside Voices. Let us know what you think by going over to our website, that's agentsofshield.tv. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and tell us what you think. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately, facebook.com forward slash shield podcast, to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news 
the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. For this episode, season five, episode sixteen, inside voices. Inside voice. Shit. Really? Yeah. Okay. Inside voice, because it's not on the front end either. Really? Of this episode. Blah blah blah. Oh epi- no. Go ep- ahead and say inside voices then. Okay. Episode, episode sixteen, inside voice. No, say inside voices. Because that's, that's the name voices. of the episode. Oh, it is. Yeah, you were right. You've always been right. Did I ever tell you you were wrong? <laughs> and I broke my closest. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, what is the episode name? I don't think it's... I think it's Voices. It is. And it you've is. been saying Voices. Oh, okay. I thought you were just fucking with me. Okay. No. All right, sorry. But, In- but now I must make sure... Well, I thought you had. That's why I thought you were just confirming that. Inside Voices. Okay, good. So Mike was right, just like he always is. Thank just you. like he always is. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, inside voices.